Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, great is your faith. What an amazing statement that is that we find in our gospel text today. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you, great is your faith? And we can trust that those words are true because Jesus speaks them. The expert on faith speaks them. Jesus looks for faith in his people like a gem collector searches for fine jewels. He searches the heart and he knows true and genuine faith when he sees it. And we realize from God's word that he doesn't always find it in his disciples. And on no occasion that we know of from the Bible did, ever, did Jesus ever say of Peter or James or John, great is your faith. In fact, what did we hear last week? Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith. The disciples who followed Jesus around saw firsthand all of his teachings and miracles were not commended for their faith. Instead, a Canaanite woman who only had heard a crumb of knowledge about Jesus was commended for her faith. On only one other occasion did Jesus praise a person for their faith, and that was a Roman soldier stationed at Capernaum. So what was so special about this Canaanite woman? She came from the country to the north of Palestine, a land that was hostile to the Jews. She was presumably married with at least one child. We don't know her name. We don't know whether she was good or bad. But here's what we do know. She had a need. Now, you might be thinking, well, who cares? Everyone has a need. But that's the point. That's exactly the point here. We all have this in common. We all have a need. The Canaanite woman was losing her little girl, and she was helpless to do anything about it. Now, maybe your need is quite different, but we all have one need that's in common, and that is our struggle with sin. Other needs we have may be an illness that you feel helpless to combat. It may be for a need for a stop to family problems. It may be a financial need. It could be a host of other things. The list could go on. And need, whatever that need is, often renders us helpless. And again, our greatest need is that God's will be done by calling us to faith and then preserving us in that faith. This Canaanite woman heard a word of God and God created faith in her. And she wouldn't have heard much. She certainly didn't have the Bible revealing God's plan of salvation, his power to deliver and rescue. But she may have heard the word about Jesus from one of the disciples, or maybe had even heard Jesus speak once before. The evidence that she had heard the word of God is that she spoke with words that reflected a knowledge of the Psalms. Her prayers to Jesus were as Christian as they come, and they're, in fact, they're a part of our liturgy that we use today. Lord, have mercy. Lord, help. 
The Canaanite woman knew that a man was coming, a man who had healed leprosy, an incurable disease that had left so many people helpless, a man who had met a helpless paralytic and told him to rise, take up his bed, and walk, and he did. A man who met a woman who had bled for 12 years and every cure known to man had failed. But by simply touching this man's garment, she was healed. A man who fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and still had leftovers. She heard that this man was coming her way. And she knew that only this man could conquer the demon that had possessed her daughter and left her helpless. And so certainly like any mom or dad who was losing their child would do, she probably had sought out every possible remedy for her demon-possessed daughter. And all of them failed. And so she comes to Jesus with only a sliver of hope, that God-given faith based on the mere crumb of the word, seeking his deliverance. And here's another thing. She was willing to cross barriers to seek out help for her daughter. Previously, only Jews had approached Jesus for healing and release from demon possession. This was the first and only time recorded in the Bible that a Canaanite, a Jewish adversary, Gentile woman, seeks out Jesus. Even the Gentile centurion made his request from the confines of his home far from a, in, from a distance. Because there were there racial barriers, prejudice, hatred, cultural taboos. But she didn't care. She was willing to cross all those barriers to turn to Jesus for help. That was her faith. Her understanding of Jesus was simply that he and he alone could help. She knew the power of Jesus and confessed that he was the son of God. Her faith simply existed in that she had a need, and Jesus had an answer. More than that, he was the answer. Her faith was commended because she understood who Jesus was. She understood that he was the answer to her need. And this woman, she had seen the adversary. A demon had possessed her daughter. She knew firsthand the power of the devil. But her faith told her that only one who is more powerful than the devil could help her. And that person was Jesus, the very Son of God. And she was consumed with excitement as she ran out to Jesus. Isaiah prophesied, we heard in our Old Testament text, that foreigners would worship, serve, and love the Lord and share joy in God's house of prayer. When Jesus cleansed the temple, we're told that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This was the first pagan to publicly embrace Jesus. And it kind of calls to mind the words of Psalm 122. I rejoice with those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. This Canaanite woman was persistent in prayer. She knew that if Jesus didn't answer, then there was no answer. She had heard that this man could do anything. Now when she came to him for help, what did she receive? At first, Jesus was silent. Not a single word. 
know, we all wish that we could go through life and, and God would just tell us which way we should go with every step, right? We wish that all of our prayers would be answered instantly on the spot. But sometimes we realize that God answers yes. Sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. But how do we know the difference between a no and a wait? When God is silent, do we give up on prayer? Do we give up on asking God for direction in life? Do we give up on the lost person that we've been praying for? Do we give up and walk away and think that we've just wasted our time? The Canaanite woman in our gospel text perceived what very few people have the faith to perceive. And that's the truth, that the silence of God does not mean the indifference of God. We're told that she kept on praying and praying and praying. And her persistence didn't move God to answer, but it led her to hear God's answer. It's the type of praying that says, Lord, I know that only you can help me. What faith and prayer did first in the Canaanite woman was to change her. And then it changed her circumstance. Her faith and prayers led her to be patient in waiting for Jesus' answer. As Martin Luther once said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Now, too many times we have this idea that we'll pray for a little bit, and then if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. We'll give God a chance, but then, then it's my turn. But we need to realize that God isn't just another solution or another helper. He is the only solution, the only helper, the only problem solver. Now, at this point, the Canaanite woman could have given up. She may not have belonged to the synagogue. She may not have known the Torah. But she had a need, and that was enough. The object of Jesus' supreme regard and love was for this woman and her daughter. And we also see that she worshiped God even when everything seemed lost. She didn't give up on God. Instead, she worshiped him. Despite the silence and this apparent rejection of Jesus, she threw herself down before him, and with sobs that only a mother can cry, she worshiped him. Now contrast that with us, where sometimes it's hard enough for us to worship when things are going bad in our lives. But this woman worshipped in the middle of struggling with the demonic possession of her own daughter. And Jesus answers her cry, Lord, help me, with, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now today we see dogs as man's best friend, right? But back in Jesus' day, that wasn't always the case. For the most part, the dogs weren't domesticated. They were annoying and barking all night, laying around during the daytime. They would eat almost anything. They were nasty scavengers most of the time. And this Canaanite woman was called a dog. Sin causes all of us, every last one of us, to act like a dog. 
We feed our minds and sometimes our bodies with almost anything. But worse than that, even when God delivers us from sin, we go right back to it like a dog to its own vomit. God gives us power over guilt, but we pick it right back up. God would have every right to call us dogs. He would have every right to call us worthless. But he always, always responds with his everlasting love for us. And notice, too, in our text that the woman doesn't get argumentative or feel worthless or deny it when Jesus called her a dog. Instead, she said, yes, Lord, but even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. And there, it's not until you look back in the original language that you see a glimmer of hope in Jesus' words. Because Jesus doesn't call this woman a stray dog, but uses the Greek word meaning little dog or house dog. And so this woman is in essence saying, yes, Lord, you call me a house dog, and I'm fine with that. Because a house dog knows where his next meal is coming from, his master's table. Jesus called her a house dog, and a house dog has a master. No recipient of healing ever called Jesus Lord three times, and she was the only one to hear Jesus firsthand say, great is your faith. And this is interesting, especially as we look in the context of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus fed 5,000 people from a meal of, that was meant for one person. There was even 12 baskets full of leftovers far more than Jesus even began with. The Canaanite woman in our text knew that the leftovers were plentiful and far more than she would ever need. And Jesus contrasted the repentant faith of the Canaanite woman who had not even seen his miracles with the unbelief of the Jews. This woman had a need, but she also had faith. Faith founded upon the crumb of the word that she had heard knowing that Jesus was the answer to her helplessness. She received her daughter back, but most importantly, she demonstrated what it meant to have faith in a great God. She had faith in the crumb of the word of God that she had heard. And the word of God is powerful. The word of God heals. The word of God restores. The word of God brings life. And that's the same word that we have today. The same word that we've gathered here together to, to hear and rejoice in. And so as people of great faith, our simple prayer is for crumbs. Crumbs that alone satisfy. Jesus is still very much in the business of restoring, healing, forgiving, and putting families back together. And it comes as a result of a great God who loves us and who daily cares for us with his mercy, with his grace and providence. God can multiply a meal to feed thousands with 12 baskets of leftovers and can save a life with a crumb from heaven that commands demons to flee. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Holy Spirit teach us to also pray for crumbs. And we praise God, knowing that he will answer and has answered. He answers our prayers, and he doesn't call us stray dogs or house dogs. 
Instead, he calls us his own. He calls us his very sons and daughters, joint heirs with Christ. And because that's who we are, we know that we will feast not only on crumbs, but on his heavenly banquet of rich food in his kingdom forever. Amen.